Hello there, little masters, and welcome once again to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight we're crying in our glass of the good stuff. West Duhal, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Aragorn to my Amir, Alan Sisto. Aha. Thank you, Sean. Folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, tonight's episode is on Chapter 20 of the Silmarillion of the Fifth Battle, Nirnayath Arnoidiad. We finally mm. get to the tragic account of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Yeah, and I think we'll probably be calling it the Battle of Unnumbered Tears as much as possible, just to, just to avoid having to pronounce near Nyath or Noidiad more than yeah, we have to. That's quite a cinder uh, and tongue twister. It, it is, and now we both had a chance to, to, to butcher it, although I think we probably did okay. Well, you know, the episode is young. <laughs> yeah, it's true. On that note, though, let's start at the beginning, which, as we've said before, is a very good place to start. Does, oh, yeah. uh, does old Barlaman have anything in his bag for us tonight, Sean? Yeah, he's got one for us tonight that I think, um, I'm a, well, I guess, I hope <laughs> that we can answer pretty quickly. <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, yeah, Ryan M. in Appleton, Wisconsin, wrote in to say, I keep wondering how all the people in the first age were getting fed, especially the soldiers involved in the siege of Angband. With the arrival of the Noldoran men, Beleriand starts getting pretty crowded. I have not found any reference to agriculture or domestication of animals that would likely be needed to feed these burgeoning realms, much less their ability to be protected from bands of orcs, spiders, and all the other great perils of the first age. Good point. Um, I don't think Tolkien ever references. He, he, still, Ryan. Question goes here. on. Okay. Yeah, I don't think Tolkien ever references exact populations, but but, and I'll paraphrase a little. Based on the size of the armies at the near Nyarlathotep, uh, some have surmised a population of over a million elves, men, and dwarves in Beleriand during the first age. So Ryan says, where did all those rations come from? I don't see how a hunter-gatherer society can support that population and those huge armies. Uh, he goes on to say, I mean, there's only so many fish in the River Syrian. <laughs> uh, well said. Uh, good yeah, point. Yeah. Good question. Uh, and, you know, another one of our listeners, uh, Tarek in Chicago, asks a similar question um, that we answered part of a few weeks ago when we talked about whether the elves ate meat. Right. Um, we talked about that with the first part of Baron and Luthien. Tarek had also asked about whether the elves actually domesticated animals. Ah. You know, ironically, I did find the answer to Ryan's question while reading ahead for our next episode. Oh, in yeah. uh, in the Lay of the Children of Hurin, which is the verse um, the, the verse version of the uh, the story of Turin Turambar in the Lays of Beleriand, uh, there's a passage. I want to say it's around. Um, well, if my notes here are correct, it's in it's lines 1783 to 1805. Where I hope that's your notes because if you remembered the line that it's, <laughs> it's in, it's definitely my notes. Um, you and need I to think find a those replacement are, for me. And I can and I can, <laughs> <laughs> and they're handwritten notes, so you okay. know who knows if they're accurate. Um, but um, Turin comes to Nargothrond, and then Tolkien actually describes the farmland outside Nargothrond, ah. and. Of course, he doesn't use normal language. It's Tolkien, no. so he's got all these great archaisms. He talks about um, he talks about lees and lisos, which uh, I looked up in our pastures. I'm um, glad you looked that up. I would have no clue what that is. Yeah, exactly. L e a l e a s. Yeah, it, it, the plural is l e a s. Okay. Uh, l e a l e. I guess would be the singular, and then liso is another form of the same word. Okay. Um, so these are pastures. So if they had pastures, they must have had livestock to graze them. Certainly. Um, he talks about uh, teeming tilth, which is, you know, tilled land or farmed land. And he talks about orchards. So uh, yeah. clearly, at least there, we have some evidence that Tolkien's elves were farmers. They weren't just hunter-gatherers. Yeah. Um, 
I hope that Christopher Tolkien would give us a little bit of commentary that would shed some light on it. But unfortunately, um, <laughs> Christopher's comment on this That's was a no. <laughs> yeah, no, his comment on this, I, I pulled it out just because it's classic. It just says, the passage describing the home fields of Nargothrond is of great interest in itself, for rarely are there references to the agriculture of the peoples of Middle-earth in the Elder Days. Well, boom, that's it. Well, well no kidding. <laughs> that's, there you go. Rarely, as in apparently just this once, as unless you share something else. Right, exactly, yeah. Unless you got something else, uh, you know, in those boxes, uh, Christopher. <laughs> so, um I mean, this this seems to be just about it, really. Yeah. Um, but that certainly is an implication. No, not even an implication. I'm sorry. That's a direct statement that there are, uh, you know, tilled lands maintained yeah. as, you know, farmland and um, pastures for animals and, and orchards. Yeah. So, yeah. Know, Definitely some agriculture there. I just mm-hmm. think we just don't really know too much no. about it. Well, apparently so. neither does Christopher Tolkien. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess I think we've technically answered Ryan's question. Uh, It might not be as much detail as he's hoping for. But, you know, I just don't think we can say anymore without speculating way beyond any of the texts available. True. But, you know, I I think that's intentional on on Tolkien's part. You know, we we read modern fiction, a lot of us. And as modern readers, we've we've come to expect a lot of that kind of day to day or mundane details about everyday life. Uh, Sure. Yes. It's one way of getting realism. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, in kind of the gritty fantasy or realistic fantasy, like, uh, uh George R.R. R. Martin, for example, would probably sure, be yeah. the biggest name that comes to mind in, in that style yeah. of writing. But Tolkien wasn't a modern writer. He's a medievalist. And you don't get that in Beowulf. You don't get the day-to-day grind. Right. You don't get to find out, you know, what, how they make their, what everyday their life was like, or, yeah. you know, how they knitted that particular, fabric together it's just not right. the kind of detail or how the economy been. worked or anything yeah, like that. You, yeah. you didn't need it because and it was thankfully you don't know anything about politics and that's a good thing uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. that's not the kind of realism that tolkien wanted and right at least I agree. In, in in these writings and mm-hmm. if you listen to our first episode or read uh, on fairy stories you can probably guess why you know i mean he he, he talks about his work being escapist intentionally mm-hmm. so and it's right. it's intended to be Kind of mythological in scope, not anthropological. Um, yeah. So he was exactly. yeah. he was intentionally silent on details about things like the economy and social conditions and the plight of the common peasant. Um, things that <laughs> yeah. you know we might find ourselves things reading that we about do it. find yeah. a lot in those modern fantasy worlds. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, we don't get details on any of the day to day life of well, really anybody except for maybe the hobbits. Uh, yeah, and honestly, true. I don't I don't know about you, but I, I don't miss it. I never think to myself, yeah, um, yeah. I wonder, you know, how things work in, in Minas Tirith. Where are the ports? And I mean, he manages. He, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think he manages to achieve a, a different kind of realism without yeah. it. Um, he, he achieves that, you know, that that secondary belief that he's striving for right. because the world is very detailed, just in a different way. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's things like the languages, things like the history, you know, mm-hmm. um, things that a, a lot of that other more, um, you know, you mentioned the gritty fantasy. A lot of that stuff doesn't have. That's true. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think one's better than the other. Um, no, they're just different. Yeah. 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 Um, I like both at different times. Um, but uh, I think it's just, you know, this is what Tolkien was going for, as you said. Yeah. But, yeah, to answer the question, but, it does appear that they were not hunter-gatherers, but yeah. indeed a, an agricultural society, even if we don't see it going on. Yeah, um, definitely. So hopefully that that answers Ryan's question, and uh, I can completely understand him asking that question oh, yeah. as a moderator. Um, but uh, 
Yeah. yeah, hope that hope that helps, Ryan. And uh, again, that's in uh, the Lays of Valerian, Volume Three of the History of Middle Earth. Thanks for the question, Ryan. So now it's on with today's discussion. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, I'll go ahead and read that first paragraph. It's a recap of the last three episodes. My goodness, we spent six hours <laughs> talking about Baron and Luthien, and here Incredible. we are back again. It is said that Baron and Luthien returned to the northern lands of Middle Earth and dwelt together for a time as living man and woman, and they took up again their mortal form in Doriath. Those that saw them were both glad and fearful, and Luthien went to Menegroth and healed the winter of Thingol with the touch of her hand. But Melian looked in her eyes and read the doom that was written there, and turned away, for she knew that a parting beyond the end of the world had come between them, and no grief of loss has been heavier than the grief of Melian the Maya in that hour. Then Baron and Luthien went forth alone, fearing neither thirst nor hunger, and they passed beyond the river Gelion into Osirian, and dwelt there in Tolgallon, the Green Isle, in the midst of Adorant, until all tidings of them ceased. The Eldar afterwards called that country Dorfirn Iguinar, the land of the dead that live. And there was born Dior Aranel the Beautiful, who was after known as Dior Eluchil, which is Thingol's heir. No mortal man spoke ever again with Baron, son of Barahir, and none saw Baron or Luthien leave the world, or marked where at last their bodies lay. Wow. It's a, yeah. it's a, lovely, it's a lovely paragraph. Um, yeah, it is. We were talking about this uh, before we started recording, a little odd that it comes at the beginning of this chapter. I know. It does, <laughs> I kinda, doesn't it feel like it fits with the last chapter? <laughs> yeah. I kind of wish it would have been that out. <laughs> Yeah. But, but it, uh, but it, it does, does. give us a chance know, to revisit, which is good. It does. It does. And, you know, and, and, and in a good way, I think, as we'll see in a minute here, I mean, uh, the, the story of Baron and Luthien really does catalyze uh, some of the things that are going to happen here. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. In, in an unexpected way. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess it's good that he, that he brings it back here. So, um, yeah. yeah so mortal man and woman, um, yeah. you know, we talked about this last time that, you know, that Luthien did, she became human. She became, yeah. uh, you know, a, a woman, a, a human woman. Um, so yeah, there they are living in their mortal form. So we, if we remember from the last episode, um, they were, allowed to come back to Middle Earth, but there's no guarantee of any kind of, you know, yeah, no any certain amount of time or anything. Yeah. Without certitude yeah. of life or joy. Thank you. There you go. So, um, so they, they, they did it. They took the chance. They came back and they, and they lived out as, as mortal man and woman and they had a child. Yeah. Um, which was kind of what it was all about in the beginning. Exactly. It? <laughs> it is really <laughs> all about that. I mean, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. So, you know, we, we talk about her being, a human woman. I'm not. I'm not really sure. That's. I mean, it says living man and woman, but doesn't she maintain some of her nature? I mean, she's still. She's going to be mortal. But I think she still got some power. Uh, otherwise, Dior is still just a just a man. Well, that's true. And I, yeah. I think we I mean, know that Dior has some some special blood. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely. She's still got the the elf power. She's still got the Maya power. Right. right. Um, I, I think there's there's some something of that mortal. there. It's, yeah, she's it's just like, I mean, okay, I'm going to draw a bad analogy. In the movies, uh, <laughs> when Elrond looks upon Arwen and he touches her hand and it's cold. Oh, and he yeah. He knows yeah. at that moment that she's. Yes, the <laughs> life of have the a Eldar fever. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the life of the Eldar is leaving you. The Eldar is leaving you. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that's, a, that's what I mean by a bad example. But 
you know, Melian sees this. She sees in her eyes, mm-hmm. in Luthien's eyes, the fact that now there's going to come a death, and it's a death of humans. It's the death of men. It's the death that Arwen will die at right. the end of her life. She's right. still elf, but she's no longer an immortal elf. Right. Um, and so that's that's what happens here. And Did this I... is a go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to talk about this incomparable grief. I mean, this. Yeah. You know this. Uh, uh, I mean, no this grief is of loss. Yeah, I mean, because this is a doom. I mean, this is a parting beyond the end of the world. And, you know, we've talked about we've spent quite a lot of time talking about the different fates of elves and men after they die. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. elves stay in Arda and and men go beyond. And the Maya, the Maya are also tied to the world, just like the Valar. If you descend into Arda, you're there. That's right. Yeah. You're there until the end of Arda. So so she knows this is this is forever. This is forever. Yeah. Because wow. even if even when Arda does end, and let's assume that they're able to somehow go beyond the end of the world, maybe back into the Timeless Halls or whatever the whatever Iluvatar has Or maybe in into Arda Remade or something. I mean, right. we don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. But we that's certainly not where men go. Where men go is beyond all of this. They We have no clue where they go. So it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a permanent loss. And that must just be heartbreaking for a mother. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I do wonder if they would be reunited in Arda Remade because we know that men will come, you know, men will enter back into that when it's made perfect, right? I don't, I mean. I don't remember. I mean, I know I know that the myth has Turin coming back to, to finish a particular task, but I don't know if men are, well, we do know that men are involved after the destruction of the world. Uh, with in sort the of the rebuilding. In, with the new music. Yeah, that, right, um, right. Uh, and I'm trying to remember that, oh, yeah, here we go, that a greater still, talking about music, shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Ainur and the children of Iluvatar after the end of days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they will be involved. But uh, still, despite and, that, I mean, their natures are going to be different at that point. Oh, because yeah. she's, you know, Luthien now has the fate of a, of a, of a mortal. So, right, right. you know, despite the Maya blood that she and her line have, uh, you know, you got to figure that she's going to be in – She's going to be in the choir of men if she's there. She um, so, yeah. so it is. I mean, your 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 comment that it's a permanent loss is still true. Um, yeah, you know, it's it, it is it is permanent in a way that I don't think our mortal minds can really comprehend. No, that's true. We are limited yeah. with that that finite nature. Um, I am glad that she's able to heal the winter of Thingol. Um, that's a, a a pleasant thing. But then they leave and they go off on their own uh, and they yeah. kind of into this uh, self self-defined exile uh, mm-hmm. in a, an island in the middle of a river, uh, one of the further south tributaries of, uh, of Gelion. Mm-hmm. And I hope I didn't butcher that name, Dorfirn Iguinar. It sounded right on to me. Okay, because it, it, that, yeah, it's either way, <laughs> it's an interesting land, the land of the <laughs> dead that live, also known as the land of the walking dead. Um, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> oh. Don't need that image. No, man. no, zombie, zombie Luthien, not no. attractive. No, um, no. It, it, Dior's born there. Um, Thingol's Dior heir. beautiful. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And then, well, sure. I, I mean, look who his mom is. I mean, you know, the yeah. most beautiful of the children of Elubis. Right, but you don't usually hear about a male child described as beautiful. Right, that's I mean, true. Handsome, or uh, maybe when they're a baby. Yeah, that's true. A beautiful, you know, beautiful baby boy. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I'm sure I heard that of my son. Yeah. 
I'm, but, I'm sure. But you you're right. It, it doesn't. It's not. It's not an epithet that usually survives no. into adulthood. And I think the first time I have to tell you, the first time I read this, I wasn't sure what gender Dior was because it doesn't say there was born their son Dior Arnel the Beautiful. Mm, it's true. It doesn't say him or he. It's just that this person was after known as Dior Elhil, which is also not helpful. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, but and it's such a short word that you can't. You know, yeah. you can't find any of the usual suffixes that, you know, exactly. there's no, there's no ways or indils or, or yeah. ELs, you know, <laughs> yeah. any of those little markers the that giveaways kind of tell you, that what, tell what you oh, oh yeah, there's yeah. a boy. Yeah. Um, and then I love this. We could, we could kind of go full Elvis on the last sentence here and, and speculate that perhaps they are still alive <laughs> <laughs> since nobody saw when they left the world or marked yeah. where their bodies are. I saw, and I saw him, shop, I saw I saw him shopping at Walmart yeah. just the other day. I was at Target the other day. I saw Baron buying some. <laughs> buying some peanut butter and bananas. Well, uh, <laughs> it's vegan. There you go. No, I was I was actually at a at a physician's office. I saw him picking out a new prosthetic, left uh, prosthetic right hand. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Way too soon. So anyway, um, <laughs> if we spend that much time on what's really just the preface to the chapter, we're going to be here all night. So let's <laughs> move on. All right. Uh, the Union of Mithros. Um, we won't read this next paragraph, but uh, we we find out that Mithros figures out. Hey, look. This is our only chance. Morgoth's going to get us all yeah. one at a time. We got to get this together. But what happens, well, Sean? What well, I happens? love I love the fact that it's the deeds of Baron and Luthien that, oh, that makes awesome? him realize that yeah that you know he suddenly realizes that oh wait Morgoth is not unassailable. If one elf maiden and one human stud can go and do right. this, maybe we've <laughs> right, got a chance. Exactly. exactly, and that's a reminder of uh, you know uh, I think we mentioned this in our first episode on Baron and Luthien that Tolkien quote about how the you know the unknown and the weak can turn the yes. wheels of the world. Yes. Um, it's a bit like uh, what's the well, what's the Gandalf quote from Two Towers? The the falling of small stones that starts an they avalanche. Begin the avalanche. Mm-hmm. Talking about the yeah the ends at that point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So, but what right. happened? So but, he's going to get this party started, and what? Well, uh, I guess I'll go ahead and read this next paragraph. Yeah, why don't, yeah, why that don't was, I do that? that? That was my point. That was <laughs> that was my cue, wasn't it? That was, that was I was just trying to give you that nice little easy yeah. segue. Yeah. Oh, I yeah no. <laughs> No easy segues for me. <laughs> All right, go ahead, take it on. Yet the oath of Feanor and the evil deeds that it had wrought did injury to the design of Mithras, and he had less aid than should have been. Oradreth would not march forth at the word of any son of Feanor because of the deeds of Kelagorm and Kurifin, and the elves of Nargathron trusted still to defend their hidden stronghold by secrecy and stealth. Thence came only a small company, following Gwyndor, son of Guilin, a very valiant prince, and against the will of Orodreth he went to the northern war, because he grieved for the loss of Gelmir his brother in the Dagor Bragalach. They took the badge of the house of Fingolfin and marched beneath the banners of Fingon, and they never came back, save one. That's not foreboding. <laughs> no, not, a, not <laughs> at all. That's another we can't have nice things. <laughs> right. Man, stinking Kelegorm and Kurifin. You know, if Running they just it for everybody. Their, seriously. Running it for all of the sons of Feanor, yeah. Because you know, really, Mithros that ends is a good one. It, yeah, you know. yeah, Mithros is the good one, but sure enough, Kelgorm and Kurifin have to blow it for everyone. Yep. Ordreth's not going to march. I can't blame him. Um, you know, I mean, Kelgorm and Kurifin tried to usurp him. Hello. Right. Yeah, it's, 
Yeah. Um, and, it was kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're, we're kind of pretty far to the south here. Morgoth. Who's this Morgoth fella? Um, right. You know, he's not going to do anything because we're going to we're going to hide out. Well, well, and again, we talked about Orodreth being sort of, uh, you know, oh, yeah. just kind a of little wishy washy, easy to sway, you know, just kind of like whatever go with. Yeah. Kind of, you know, just kind of what is what was the expression used? Like he just kind of like holds up his finger. Yeah. And yeah. Sees, sees which way, way the wind, the is, wind blowing. is blowing. And, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to go all the way up there. I don't know. This, this is not a good time for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of cleaning the caves out right now. I'm in a big project. Can you we call me our, back in six we got, months? We got secrecy. It's fine. It's we got stealth. Right. They're not going to find us. And then so. Gwyndor, Gwyndor says, you know what? Look, I'm going anyway. And keep on, keep an eye on that name. We're going to see Gwyndor more in this chapter, and we'll see Gwyndor yes. again later. And we'll see more of Gelmir, too. We, w- we will. Well, yeah. <laughs> and less of him. <laughs> we'll see less of him, too. <laughs> we'll see more of him than less of him, and ouch, that's just Aww. not good. That is too soon. Um, so let's see whether he gets any help from any place else. From Doriath came little help. So, no, he didn't get any more. <laughs> There's your answer. For Mithros and his brothers, being constrained by their oath, had before sent to Thingol and reminded him with haughty words of their claim, summoning him to yield the Silmaril or become their enemy. Melian counseled him to surrender it, but the words of the sons of Feanor were proud and threatening, and Thingol was filled with anger, thinking of the anguish of Luthien and the blood of Baron whereby the jewel had been won, despite the malice of our favorite brothers, Kelligorm and Kurufin. <laughs> and every day that he looked upon the Silmaril, the more he desired to keep it forever, for such was its power. Therefore he sent back the messengers with scornful words. Mithros made no answer, for he had now begun to devise the league and union of the elves. But Kelligorm and Kurufin vowed openly to slay Thingol and destroy his people, if they came victorious from war, and the jewel were not surrendered of free will. Then Thingol fortified the marches of his realm and went not to war, nor any out of Doriath, save Mablung and Beleg, who were unwilling to have no part in these great deeds. To them Thingol gave leave to go, so long as they served not the sons of Feanor, and they joined themselves to the host of Fingon. Yeah, I know, I was laughing through that one too. Kelligorm and you know. Oh, well, we're going to slay you and destroy your people as yeah, soon as we get done with this back battle. And wipe your, we're just going like, to wipe you out. Just, it's just adding to the discord. Oh, and, by the you know, way. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to go just, win this war. If we do, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you and and destroy your people. Yeah, they're yeah. just swell guys. They're just such charming fellows. You know, you just want to give them what they ask yeah. for. Yeah. I, I did notice <laughs> once again that Melian counsels him to do something and he doesn't do it. Of course. Once again, he doesn't listen to Melian. Of course. Of course. Um, I mean, in this case, because, I really almost can't blame him. I mean, it. Um, well, the, the one thing I do like about this paragraph is uh, his motives. Yeah. Uh, Thingol's motives are, you know, he's thinking of the anguish of Luthien and the blood of Baron. I, I love the fact that, he, you know, he's he really has warmed to his son-in-law at this point. Part of me and, wants to uh, go, it's about flipping time. I mean, yeah, know, part of it's yeah. just, you're, now you think of the blood of Baron. Earlier, now, you're thinking of how that might right. look good on your walls. You right. Know? But then as soon as that happens, he's, yeah. he, yeah. we were reminded that, no, it, it really you're is right. all about the Silmaril, too. It is. Boy, does that, it, doesn't that kind of echo the ring right there? 
He oh, looked upon it, and the more yeah. he desired to keep it forever, for such was its power. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's such a parallel yeah, there. That's one of those recurring themes we see, oh, totally. you know, all over the legendary. And it's sort of this uh, this lust for these material things that, yeah. um, are, you know, are beautiful of, and are objects powerful. Objects of great but, power, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my goodness. From so, Mavlung and Beleg. Good on him. Well, Beleg Guthalian. No, yeah. he must go. Yes. Yeah. He's, uh, there's no surprise there. But unlike uh, Gwyndor, who goes uh, against the will of Orodrath, Thingol does give them leave. He just tells them that you can't fight That's true. for, he does. for my That's throws. true. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I get that. Um, my goodness. So then we get, and again, we're going to skip a couple paragraphs here, but Mithros gets the help of uh, the dwarves of the Nalgrim. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. get to get, get a whole bunch of weapons going. Uh, he gets the help of men, Boar and Ulfang, and they bring in more of their kinsfolk from the east. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you get Fingon gets helped by the House of Hador. Uh, and the uh, the people of Haleth. Um, and we talked about the the House of Hador. Remember, we've talked before about how the House of Hador, with you know, the, they're the mighty ones, right? They're yeah, the, yeah. The, the toughest of, of men. Yeah, they're and the, you know, the Fingon's house are you know the most valiant. We've talked about how this great this alliance. Right. Is, yeah, this is like the elite warrior alliance of. Yeah, these are the special of forces of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, at least they yeah. will be for a little while longer. Yeah, um, yeah too soon. <laughs> Providing um, more pages. About, yeah. <laughs> uh, people of Haleth, uh, they whetted their axes as well. I love that phrase. They whetted their <laughs> That's axes. That's cool. Um, and then, uh, so Haldir's son rules them. And and then, of course, Turgon gets the news, but we don't know anything yet what's going to happen there. Right. Mithros, apparently, you know, word got out. Um, and, you know, they, they started doing some things. They did drive out the orcs from the north, uh, the north parts of Beleriand. By doing that, it, it triggered Morgoth. Morgoth became aware of what was going on. And I love this. He took counsel against them. So he sent spies among them. Um, faithless men were already deep in the secrets of, of Mithros and, and his brothers. Yeah. Such a and we've already t- And we've talked in a couple of chapters ago about who mm-hmm. some of those were. And I won't spoil it because we'll see it very soon. Well, I think we already – I think we did talk we, about – We know who Wolfang. it is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. all things people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's we'll see. see. We get so then we get a little bit of the plan. We get a little uh, battle plan drawn up here. He decides that he's going to do kind of this pincher move. Uh, we're going to assault Angband from both the east and the west. He's going to, in theory, march over openly on the on the field of Anfaugleth with banners drawn and uh, or banners displayed, and he's going to draw out the army. So the armies mm-hmm. of Morgoth are going to come out, and then Fingon's going to come from the west, and it's this whole hammer and anvil idea. They're going to you know, put them in, in the middle and smash them to bits. Um, right. We'll see how well that works out for them. Um, so we'll actually have you start, uh, maybe have you read the on the appointed day paragraph. That yep. might be a good All one right. to, to start with there. All right. On the appointed day, on the morning of midsummer, the trumpets of the Eldar greeted the rising of the sun, and in the east was raised the standard of the sons of Feanor. And in the west, the standard of Fingon, high king of the Noldor. Then Fingon looked out from the walls of Aethel Syrian, and his host was arrayed in the valleys and the woods upon the east of Eridwethrin, well hid from the eyes of the enemy, but he knew that it was very great. For there all the Noldor of Hithlum were assembled, together with elves of the Falas and Gwyndor's company from Nargothrond, and he had great strength of men. Upon the right were the host of Dorloman and all the valor of Hurin, and who are his brother? And to them had come Haldir of Brethel with many men of the woods, 
Right on. So we're gathering the gathering yeah. the troops. You know, I noticed that yeah. when we looked at the last battle, um, it was uh, in in the middle of winter on a new mm-hmm. moon. And okay, uh, you know, right. so it was pitch black when uh, the dagger right. of Ragalach began. And this is the exact opposite. And this is the exact it? opposite. The, the rising Mid-summer, of the sun. Rising of the sun. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, again, not a coincidence here that, um, you know, this is when yeah. the good guys attack. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, you you think about the way this is drawn up. I almost, I, I probably should have pulled up Loader Project to kind of draw this together in terms of where the the armies are. Uh, but I think you know we're familiar enough with the geography now to to kind of get mm-hmm. a picture here. So Fingon's host is in this uh, north south range of mountains, the Ithil Sirion. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm sorry, the yeah, Arid Wethren. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. in the he's in the fortress of Ithil Sirion, which is in the right. Arid Wethren. Um, right. But they're all hidden. Um, right. And then you've got, yeah. So his on his right, you've got the men uh, there. So they're slightly further to the south, and you know, over on the far east, you've got um, uh, you've got Maithros and his and, and his and, and his and his Easterlings that he's got right, and and the Nalgrim, well. right, so and the Nalgrim, right, yeah. yeah, the dwarves and then yeah. Boar and Ulfang. Yeah. So we get uh, we get the black smoke going up, uh, which means no pope was chosen. I'm sorry, which means that Morgoth. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that literally just hit me, and I was too inspired. Great, perfect. Oh, we got white smoke. Go, no. go with it. Go with it. Uh, <laughs> so oh, the wrath of Morgoth is aroused. Morgoth was aroused. Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Um, so Fingon's, you know, a little nervous. Doubt fell yeah. upon Fingon's heart. I, yeah, I love that I phrase. Have to, I have to think he's remembering what happened to dear old dad. Uh yeah. I'm thinking that's part of it. Uh, and he's looking. He's looking. And he's his, also looking to see if he can see Mithras' uh, Yeah. Hosts. Seeing if he might see with elven sight. Mm-hmm. Legolas, what do your elf eyes see? What do your elf eyes see? <laughs> well, I see. <laughs> I see the I don't dust see Mithras. Where is he? Where is that Mithras fellow? Of course, he, he yeah. doesn't know because their radios are down um, that Mithras was hindered by, uh, by Uldor. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and take that next paragraph. And again, I know that our style tonight's a little different because this is such a narrative-heavy chapter. There's not as much to talk about, so we're kind of just almost—it's almost like play-by-play, play, isn't it? Yeah. This is um, yeah. this is like the Super Bowl, except without the massive choking. Um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> oh, oh, hopefully. Apologies to any of our <laughs> listeners from Atlanta. That's, I suppose that's much much more. Uh, and that's a much more current reference as of when we're recording this than by the time it gets that's released. That's true. By the time we, we – yeah, that will be all we're, played the, out the, by the, the time The Super Bowl was here. two days ago. <laughs> and uh, Oh, my goodness. As a New Orleans Saints fan, I'm always happy to see the Falcons lose. Well, as so. an Oakland Raiders fan, I'm always sad to see the Patriots win. <laughs> 2002, that was a fumble, man. I'm telling you. All right. But now a cry went up. Passing up the wind from the south, from vale to vale, and elves and men lifted their voices in wonder and joy. For unsummoned and unlooked for, Turgon had opened the leaguer of Gondolin and was come with an army ten thousand strong, with bright mail and long swords and spears like a forest. Then when Fingon heard afar the great trumpet of Turgon his brother, the shadow passed, and his heart was uplifted, and he shouted aloud, Utulianaure, Aya Eldalie, Aratanatari, Utulianaure. The day has come. 
Behold, people of the Eldar and fathers of men, the day has come. And all those who heard his great voice echo in the hills answered, crying, Auta ilome, the night is passing. I love that. <laughs> that is very well done. I, I, oh, that's kudos so to fun. you. Oh, thank that, you. That's that's a mouthful of Quenya, and you just uh, <laughs> well from, I, to I, my ears, you nailed it. I'm 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 impressed. Well, I, I I will concede one thing. I actually did practice that a little bit because I did not want to butcher <laughs> that. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. It and is. And I knew if I it's came as beautiful in cold, to look at as it is to hear. Isn't it, it? actually? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. There's yeah. something about the just even the shape of the letters and the yeah. where the the stresses are and the. Oh, you really get a sense of the music of Quenya from this. Yeah, uh, this you is, really I, do. This is one of my favorite passages, and you know, I I got a word nerd out on it a little bit. I mean, it's oh, please do. That's why you, I pay. You. <laughs> Wait, I do pay you, right? Wait, did you get the you, Did you get the check? You pay me. It's you, in the mail. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all for the love. All for the there. Love. You go. Um, I'll give you ten times what you're getting now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, it's about time. Um, now, I mean, as much as I love learning about, you know, Quenya and Sindarin roots, I've never really bothered to sit down and actually learn the languages. Well, I know yeah. some people do. Hats off to you. I, I just, I really just, I, I just I don't, don't have the time. time. Yeah. Um, but I think if I wanted to, I think this is the passage I would look at first. Um, and, and there's the passage later, which, uh, that Hurin speaks later, that's got some of these same <laughs> yes. words. Um, I don't know. I just I love this because you really well. First of all, he gives you the Quenya, and then he gives you the English translation. Yeah, um, you know that's which very is helpful. Very you helpful. You can pick some of that out. I mean, you, we know the Atani, so Atanatari. Atanatari kind of gives you a clue. Yeah. Eldalia, yeah. we already know. Um, so and it, I, you know, I mean, if you remember Frodo's um, incantation or yeah. invocation um, in uh, Two Towers, the I had Endil, Elenian and Kalima, you know, that's hail or, yeah, or behold. Or behold, it's, yeah, um, verily. So, <laughs> forsooth. forsooth. Um, yeah, so, but this Itulian Aure is just, um, Isn't that you can, if you come, if you look at that compared with what Hurin says later on, you can, you can really see that there's, you can see this verb root uh, or verb stem yep, of, of the tool in there. same stem. Yeah, the same stem. And uh, I'm not going to, take the time to parse out all the different prefixes and suffixes. I mean, I've done it, but I'm not going to talk about it here because there's, it would take us all day. Um, but yeah, I know. But, uh, but this is the perfect tense verb. Okay. <laughs> now I'll stop there. But the perfect uh, tense verb. Okay. Yeah. The perfect tense of the verb. Uh, the day has come, but no, I mean, you, you'll see it later on. You can just really see how, um, how the different parts go together, the different prefixes and suffixes go together, attached to this root or this this verb stem tool, which means come. Right. And again, if you compare that with aure uh, and tuluva later on, um, which is the future tense of yep. the same verb, yep. you just I don't know, you just get you start to get a sense for how the verbs work. And um, yeah, you do. I just I, I just love it. Um, there's actually I. I did a little research just because I don't know the language and I don't really know how to conjugate Quenya verbs. Oh, goodness. Um, but there's no. We've but just lost a, about 70 people. <laughs> Click. <laughs> we'll no, check next episode. Just, they're going to conjugate verbs. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> um, but there's an there's an excellent site called Artalambion, which has done, I think, probably the 
the best overview of Tolkien's languages on the web. Okay. I'll put a link up on the site, but there's just yeah, a lot of great do. information there that like, kind of shows like just, you know, how the different verbs work, how the nouns work. Um, so if you're interested in this kind of stuff, as I am, but I just don't have the time to, to sink into it because well, I got yeah. two kids. And a podcast. Two kids and a podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll put a link up on the site. It's, it's a fascinating uh, just – the way the verbs come together and yeah. uh, and everything. And I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll just leave that up there for folks. Sounds cool like stuff. a good idea. You know, I have to say, it because I listen to the score, the film score, so often, uh, the Howard Shore complete recordings, that includes oh, yeah. the very mm-hmm. bit at the end of Return of the King when Aragorn sings. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's why I recognize that word, Utulian, Utulian. because yeah. he sings that. I have come, yeah. Et erello yeah. Which is out of the great sea of, to Middle Earth, to I, Middle am Earth come. I am come. I yeah. am come, Utulian. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, I love it. It's so cool. So much good stuff. Um, well, you know, now uh, that that might be the high peak uh, of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, all the, downhill from it's there. It's all down. That's right. This is. Um, but you know what? I do want to, but I want to say, you know, throughout as all the horrible stuff that's going to happen in this chapter, and there is this little thread, and there's a lot. There's this little thread of hope that oh, runs throughout, and this is the first bit of it, you know. Yes. Um, you know, as as Fingon is, um, is see, you know, hearing his brother, and he he gets that that little shred of hope, and he, you know, oh, yeah. the day has come. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get to we're gonna do this, guys. Yep. Um, the day has come. The night we'll see is how well, passing. The night is passing. Yeah. So there, that's just the first little moment of hope. And there's yeah. just little thread throughout. I'll, I'll point out a few places where we see Please it. do, because this is a rather <laughs> we need it difficult chapter. chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, this is a chapter where, you know, if you're if you're a man or an elf, it is easy to fall into despair, you know, to, to take that hopelessness, yeah. uh, to go back to an essay that, that I did a few weeks ago on, on our uh, ponderings, yeah. to go from hope through hopelessness to despair. Instead of hanging absolutely. on to hope, even in right. the light of, of, you know, absolutely incredibly bad odds. Um, right. But, yeah, you're right. There is a, a just a thread of hope, and it's uh, worth hanging on to. So. And, and I find that it is men in this chapter who constantly remind the elves mm-hmm. of the hope that's there, the hope that's well, there yeah. to be had. And in one case, quite very explicitly. So we'll, we'll get yes. to that. Yes, yes. So here we get into the kind of the early battle. So Morgoth uh, begins his assault towards Fingon. Uh, the Noldor Get a little impatient. They want to get out there and get to get to the fight. But Hurin, Hurin, the wise man, speaks yeah. against it and says, you got to beware this, of Morgoth. Yeah. You and this, this is an interesting little shift. You know, this is a man giving yeah. counsel to elves. Giving counsel to the elves. I love it. And, and yeah. he's not afraid to speak up and say, no, 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 guys, that's not your best bet right now. You Please remember who Morgoth is. He always is right. trying to trick you. Uh, right. And his strength is always greater than it seems. So... Uh, that's they, a, they sit back. Well, that's wait. a really good point because that reminds me of what happens to Hurin later on. I know, boy. Uh, and this is advice that I think Hurin is going to need for himself later on. Yes, it will. Um, it's so really he, interesting. He says, "You know, look. Did you notice? Did you notice this bit about the dun raiment? You know, it's the dun raiment. Yeah, the dull, not shiny. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's basically desert camo. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. You're right. That's a good point. And dun raiment is desert camo indeed. Yeah. Uh, so that that way they can't be seen for a long time. Right. It, it, it actually that ends up being the thing that I think keeps the Noldor there. Obviously, if they'd seen them further out, they might have been even more impatient. Yeah, um, I think you're but, right. But Hurin's advice is is very sound. Look, we're in a really great defensive position. There is no reason to go out there and fight on the plains where right. it's you know a, a relatively even fight. 
We're yeah, in great let's stay here in the hills. Let's let them break themselves. Yep. And you know they're, they're going to be out of formation, trying to come right. up the hills. Right. Um, but <laughs> Morgoth, <laughs> Morgoth has another purpose. He had, Tell yeah, us he's, a, he's a happy story. Tell me about Gelmir, Daddy. <laughs> Well, son, don't tell mom I told you this story. But But the captain of Morgoth in the west had been commanded to draw out Fingon swiftly from his hills by whatever means he could. He marched on, therefore, until the front of his battle was drawn up before the stream of Sirion, from the walls of the fortress of Sirion to the inflowing of Rivil at the Fen of Serech. And the outposts of Fingon could see the eyes of their enemies. But there was no answer to his challenge and the taunts of the orcs faltered as they looked upon the silent walls and the hidden threat of the hills. Then the captain of Morgoth sent out riders with tokens of parley, and they rode up before the outworks of the Barad Aethel. With them they brought Gelmir, son of Guilin, that lord of Nargothrond, whom they had captured in the Bragalach, and they had blinded him. Then the heralds of Angband showed him forth, crying, We have many more such at home. But you must make haste if you would find them, for we shall deal with them all when we return, even so. And they hewed off Gelmir's hands and feet, and his head last, within sight of the elves, and left him. Oh, man. Ugh. It, it's the psychological for, warfare, you know? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, you think the, back to Sauron and the heads over yeah, the, the heads, walls. Yeah, that's exactly what I was it's, thinking, um, is the heads of people, you know, rolling in as... as you know, from the catapults, just yeah. terrible. Oh, it's it's gruesome. I mean, it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's just it's barbaric. I mean, they had already blinded the poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. It's total total barbarism. Uh, a- absolutely. And it's intended to do well. What it exactly, exactly. does? Exactly what it does. It, um, it's it's such a, just a. I mean, they come out to parlay. You know, th- yeah. this is th- there's a there's a code. <laughs> I yeah, think in warfare, yeah. you know, certainly in medieval warfare, um, you know, you, you, you parlay and you don't do stuff like this. No, you don't. Um, this is this is a horrific act of of violence. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> as much as I hate to beat up on the movies, uh, <laughs> this scene, reading it again, <laughs> reminded me of. Do you remember the scene in Return of the King uh, where the mouth of Sauron comes out? And oh yeah, yeah, in the extended edition, I think. Right? In the ex- that, that it's in the extended the, edition. Yeah. You're right. I, yeah, I, I yeah the I mouth didn't make the theatrical version. That's right. You're right. He did not. I hardly ever watch the theatrical anymore. I, I, I don't probably either. should. No, I I, but, I only see them when they're on TNT with like yeah, eight million right. commercials. Right. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a you know Aragorn actually you know the mouth of Sauron is you know kind of talking smack like he oh, does. Oh yeah, big time. And and Aragorn actually you had all cuts those his teeth head off. Talk smack too. <laughs> yeah, I know. So all he does is talk. Yeah, Aragorn. And Aragorn cuts his head off. It's just, just um, I don't know. I mean, I can't lie. I thought it was cool the first time I oh, saw sure, it. Oh sure, I know? cheered. It's like, yeah, you, you cheer, but you know, you you think about it, and you know that really isn't something that Aragorn would no. do. That's something that orcs do. And exactly, um, I think that. The the power of this scene is in the the utter barbarism of of mm-hmm. the act of you know, um, killing a hostage, maiming and yeah, killing yeah. a hostage in this way, um, right when right at, when you're when you're supposed to be you know supposedly negotiating. Exactly, you send out parlay, and then it's nope. We're just gonna you know lop lop yeah thump, thump, and then and, and we're <laughs> and we're basically just I mean they're and they're. They're doing it to get a rise out of the Noldor. Oh, yeah. And and as you said, it, it, it works. It, will, it does exactly what they wanted it to do. Which we'll get to now. By ill chance at that place in the outworks stood Gwyndor of Nargothrond, 
the brother of Gelmir. Now his wrath was kindled to madness, and he leapt forth on horseback and many riders with him, and they pursued the heralds and slew them, and drove on deep into the main host. And seeing this, all the host of the Noldor was set on fire, and Fingon put on his white helm and sounded his trumpets, and all the host of Hithlam leapt forth from the hills in sudden onslaught. The light of the drawing of the swords of the Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds, and so fell and swift was their onset that almost the designs of Morgoth went astray. Before the army that he sent westward could be strengthened, it was swept away, and the banners of Fingon passed over Anfaugleth and were raised before the walls of Angband. Ever in the forefront of that battle went Gwyndor and the elves of Nargothrond, and even now they could not be restrained. And they burst through the gate and slew the guards upon the very stairs of Angband, and Morgoth trembled upon his deep throne, hearing them beat upon his doors. But they were trapped there, and all were slain, save Gwyndor only, whom they took alive for Fingon could not come to their aid. <laughs> By many secret doors in Thangorodrim, Morgoth had let issue forth his main host that he held in waiting, and Fingon was beaten back with great loss from the walls. And Admiral Akbar was up on the hills shouting, It's a trap! <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> oh, man. Well it's, done. Su- it's sad. Thank you. It it's is. just sad. It is sad. Um, I mean... They fall. I mean, they just fall for it. And, what a dramatic and they do exactly, moment, though. I mean, all oh, of them draw their swords, and you're just like, oh, oh, oh. I do love the fire in a field of reeds. They're going to such a They're going to do this. I mean, they just wipe out the army. But you, you've got to remember where you are, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and getting yourself into the, the, the kind of the courtyard there at the entryway of, of Angband, you know, yeah. you're in a choke. You're in a choke point, and. Mm-hmm. Just a very, very bad thing. And it's it's happen. and it's it's his, you know, it's his home field. It's Morgoth's you oh, know, yeah. Morgoth's been, yeah, he been knows laying what's going on. Yeah, he knows where everything is. He knows where to hide. He's been t- thinking about this for centuries. For, yeah. <laughs> he where to hide his, his troops and when this happens. So yeah, it's yeah. um it's an it inevitable thing sad. when you get that close to the gates of Angband. I do love yeah. though that we once again see him fearful. Morgoth trembled upon his deep throne. Oh, that's Just a good another point. reminder of this Hearing guy the, is afraid. He's a coward. Yeah, he is totally hearing them beat upon his doors. Yeah, hearing uh, them beat upon his doors. He's trembling. And you know, save they were all slain except for Gwyndor. So remember that because we are going to see Gwyndor mm-hmm. again, though not in this chapter. Correct. Um, but boy, he's a, a tremendous character. And remember his heroism. Remember his bravery, uh, because those are things that speak to his character. That I think in the next chapter. Um, you know, will become will become he's, important. Yeah, I think it's a good point because he's you know he's not quite the elf he once was. Um, no, obviously he's you know he's no. he's he's going to be in captivity in Angband for for some time for here. Yeah, um, a few years, and uh, yeah, he's he's going to be a shadow of what he was before. But yeah, if you remember this heroism and and this um, this love that he had for his brother, and mm-hmm. um, you know this um, yeah maybe a. Maybe also a little bit of uh, foolishness. You know, he he kind of yeah. he falls for this. He falls for this trap. Really. He learns. He learns uh, that lesson, though. As we'll he see. learns that he does learn that lesson, and that's, he, that's kind of what I was going to get to. He's a much wiser character. Yeah, he yeah. comes out of it much wiser, and um, he, I think he presents an interesting foil for uh, for Turin, who is his main, you know, his uh, his little counterpart. 
Yeah, I love that section of the story. I can't wait till we mm-hmm. get to that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, just to, I, I also noticed the beginning of that passage by ill chance. Of course, that wasn't chance. I mean, even the bad things in this mm-hmm. circumstance, you can't say weren't part of the plan. I mean, you don't, you don't want it to be part of the plan, but we've kind of come to the conclusion that there really isn't chance in that sense, yeah. right? Right. I mean, yeah. You know, the Noldor every... are going to get wiped. We know that. We it has to happen. Yeah. That's that's part of this the is all meant to happen. North. This, this is, is all the Noldor yeah. are not going to win this battle with strength of arms. We they already cannot. know that. They cannot. I mean, it's you know, Ulmo has told that Torgon that you know, yeah, yeah, yeah Mandus and and and, Tor- and Ulmo, I think, have said that in a few different places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the their hope is going to come from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, and and Mithros, when he's forming the Union of Mithros, doesn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it would have mattered much at that point, but you know, I, like we've said before, you, you got to do what you got to do, even if it's relatively hopeless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's still. I don't think it was chance. I, I think uh, they were supposed to come out and they were supposed to make Morgoth afraid and Gwyndor was supposed to be captured. You know, there's mm-hmm. all those things that um, that come into play. But, yeah. Because uh, everything is but, going to set up, you know, yeah. it, it's mm-hmm. we're, we're going to see how intertwined all these events are in the exactly. next few chapters. But, you know, I mean, he's still responsible for what he did. I mean, the. the the chance oh, sure. that he was there, I don't know. No, he still did what he did. So that's that's the we get this really cool interplay, and we'll see it so much more in the next chapter between fate. Yes, and free definitely will. between but, fate um, and free will. So now we get the actual Nirnaith Arnoidiad. Uh, mm-hmm. It is named that because no song or tale can contain all its grief. We get a a real brief summary. We're not going to read all of this, but we're just going to skim through what happens. Uh, Fingon retreats. Uh, let's right. see. Um, Haldir, Haldir slain. slain. So that's the Lord of the Haladin. Most yep. of the other men of Breathil. Oh, and most of the men of Breathil, yeah. Yep. Uh, the uh, orcs surround the, the host of Hithlum. So this would be Fingon's mm-hmm. army. Uh, they fought until the morning. Uh, and then you hear and in the morning came hope. hope. Estelle, when the horns of Turgon <laughs> yep. were heard. Uh, so they come to the rescue. And what happens with that? And and we knew that, and you know, remember Fingon had heard Turgon's horns oh, before. Yeah. But Turgon hadn't actually really joined the fray because he was still guarding the Southern Pass. And well, and Turgon restrained most of his people. It says, yeah, he, you right. know, he had a, yeah, they were, he, he knew better. They were, yeah, right, exactly. They were stationed guarding that pass of Syrian, and he, the rash onslaught. He restrained them from the rash <laughs> onslaught. <clears throat> so yeah, so now they're coming to the aid of Fingon, and here's what happens next. Now the phalanx of the guard of the king broke through the ranks of the orcs. And Turgon hewed his way to the side of his brother. And it is told that the meeting of Turgon with Hurin, who stood beside Fingon, was glad in the midst mm. of battle. Then hope was renewed in the hearts of the elves. Hope, just pointing that there, out. There it is There it is again, yep. And in that very time, at the third hour of morning, the trumpets of Mithras were heard at last coming up from the east, and the banners of the sons of Feanor assailed the enemy in the rear. Some have said that even then the Eldar might have won the day had all their hosts proved faithful. For the orcs wavered, and their onslaught was stayed, and already some were turning to flight. But even as the vanguard of Mithros came upon the orcs, Morgoth loosed his last strength, and Angband was emptied. There came wolves, and wolf riders, and there came Balrogs, and dragons, and Glaurung, father of dragons. The strength and terror of the great worm were now great indeed, and elves and men withered before him. And he came between 
the hosts of Mithros and Fingon, and swept them apart. My goodness, what a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, this is a back and forth battle. Every moment yeah. you think the elves are going to gain the upper hand, yeah. then there's something else that comes. Right. And then they get Morgoth. the upper hand again, and then something and else then, And then something else comes. Yeah. Morgoth has is, is always got these, these reserves yeah. just... Just waiting to come in. Massive and, numbers. Uh, Massive and in the numbers. last, this last strength is, I mean, I mean, there's stuff that he has, there's oh, stuff, yeah. there's stuff that elves and men have never seen before here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, I, maybe male men, maybe not too much, maybe wolf riders. I don't think we've seen wolf riders before. No. And now how do we fit those in <clears throat> with the wolves, the orgs? Yeah, no, no. werewolves? I'm, no, wolf riders, of course. He's I guess they're just be... orcs, right? Orcs are men riding, right. riding wolves, I guess, or yeah. wargs. Or, yeah. Um, but, uh, and they've seen Glaurung before, but they've not seen Glaurung at his, at his full, full strength. strength. And right. I don't think they saw him with other dragons. And the numbers are That's vast. That's a good I mean, point. That's a good point. Yeah. This final version doesn't tell us the numbers. But if we look in uh, the later annals of Balerion, which is in The Lost Road, that's volume five of the history of Middle-earth, we learn a little bit more about the numbers. Now, again, uh, the numbers aren't here, so maybe those weren't the numbers. Maybe he didn't settle on these. But this is at least what he imagined at one point. And it's, you can hear some of the phrasing is the same, so it's, it's pretty close. Morgoth sent forth now all the dwellers in Angband, and hell was emptied. There came a hundred thousand orcs and a thousand Balrogs, and in the van was Glomund, which was Glaurung's name, uh, okay, Glomund yeah. the dragon, and elves and men withered before him. So, I mean, we even get that last line, and yeah, elves that, and men withered, withered before yeah. him is an exact quote, um, <laughs> and we get the fact that it's orcs, and Balrogs and dragons, right? But it's a hundred thousand orcs and a thousand Balrogs. A thousand Balrogs! Balrogs. Wow! Whoa! <laughs> well, that reminds me of you know when we talked when we talked about the ruin of Beleriand and we yeah. talked about just the the valor of men and elves of the first age to stand up to the armies that they stood up to a thousand to last, Balrogs to, to have, you know, even to be defeated, but to have this back and forth against yeah. a thousand Balrogs, um, <laughs> that's, that's a, a foe too fearsome for, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> eight guys in a Maya to, to deal with <laughs> in third age. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow is about right. Unbelievable. But even that, you know, like the text says, they might have been able to win the day if their hosts had been faithful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. Yet neither by wolf, nor by Balrog, nor by dragon would Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. In this hour, the plots of Ulfang were revealed. Many of the Easterlings turned and fled, their hearts being filled with lies and fear. But the sons of Ulfang went over suddenly to Morgoth and drove in upon the rear of the sons of Feanor. And in the confusion that they wrought, they came near to the standard of Mithros. They reaped not the reward that Morgoth promised them, for Maglor slew Uldor the Accursed, the leader in treason, and the sons of Bor slew Ulfast and Ulwarth, ere they themselves were slain. But new strength of evil men came up that Uldor had summoned and kept hidden in the eastern hills. And the host of Mithros was assailed now on three sides, and it broke and was scattered and fled this way and that. Oh, man. Yeah, scattering an army. I mean, we we have to to remember how these armies would have fought. 
you know, these days, obviously, we fight wars differently. Um, but, you know, you would have had armies in formation, you know. Right. Yeah. Groups of, of spear-equipped elves, groups right. of sword and shield-equipped elves, groups of maybe riders right. on horses. Um, Arranged in a certain order. Exactly. For, you know, to, exactly. To, to protect one another in a, in a very mm-hmm. specific way, yeah. With a particular facing because you're facing <laughs> mm-hmm. the enemy and you're, you're, right. you're oriented towards them. So now when you're assailed on three sides— your morale's gone. Everybody's scared. Everybody realizes they're they're going to die, and they break and they run. Mm-hmm. Even even elves, even these yeah. brave Noldoran elves, are th- th- their army is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, the sons of Feanor survive. We're not going to read a little bit the next. Well, the and next. Some, somehow it's 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 just. I think the worst thing about this is the treason aspect. Yeah, I mean, if, it if it was if it was orcs or if it was even men that were openly marching, yeah, yeah. you know, with Morgoth's armies. It wouldn't be nearly as bad as the fact that it's, it's these sons of Wolfang, you yeah. know? And it's not just that they leave. I mean, sure, some of them just turn and leave. But the ones that actually drive in upon the rear yeah, fighting in Ugh. your own ranks, totally yeah. unexpected, um, just evil. Again, I mean, uh, we see Morgoth, Morgoth's forces just really just uh, disrespecting uh, – you know any 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 laws or yeah, of, the rules of, of warfare. battle, the rules yeah. of warfare. Yeah, um, it's just a, it's an utter contempt for um, you know sort of yeah. the moral compass of <laughs> of this world. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's an at all costs thing. I mean, yeah. this is the yeah. ends justify the means. He doesn't care, right? Um, yeah, hideous hideous <laughs> thing to see this sort of treason, this this total betrayal. Yeah, uh, and and you know you can't. You can't really end up blaming. We'll see later on that the hearts of elves are estranged from men. I can't blame them, really. Um, after no, after experience. seeing what, after seeing mm-hmm. what you know, what men are capable of. Mm-hmm. So we we move on. Uh, the sons of Feanor do survive, uh, and then we get a little piece on the Nalgrim. This is a really cool mm-hmm. little section, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I do love this section. Uh, so I'll go ahead and start reading from the second sentence of the next paragraph. Yeah. For the Nalgrim withstood fire more heartily than either elves or men, and it was their custom, moreover, to wear great masks in battle, hideous to look upon, and those stood them in good stead against the dragons. And but for them, Glaurung and his brood would have withered all that was left of the Noldor. There's that withered again. I love yeah. that word. Isn't that a great word? word? Uh, yeah. But the Nalgrim made a circle about him when he assailed them, and even his mighty armor was not full proof against the blows of their great axes. And when in his rage Glaurung turned and struck down Azagal, lord of Belagost, and crawled over him, with his last stroke Azagal drove a knife into his belly, and so wounded him that he fled the field, and the beasts of Angband in dismay followed after him. Then the dwarves raised up the body of Azagal and bore it away, and with slow steps they walked behind, singing a dirge in deep voices, as it were a funeral pomp in their country. And gave no heed more to their foes, and none dared to stay them. Wow, is that a scene or what? Isn't that a scene? It's they just no. they pick up their king and they leave. We're they just now. carry him off, and We're nobody done. bothers them. No, like wow, I'm not, I'm not messing with them. Guys, can yeah, you, shh, don't don't yeah. say anything. Yeah, and this oh, this dirge and deep voices you could just oh, hear. No. It's just there's an alien quality to that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of creepy, but in a very cool way. Yeah, that's exactly what, definitely in a cool way. But 
they withstood fire more heartily. I is is that maybe in their armor or is that in their uh, in their physical makeup somehow? I mean, they're they're very hairy, so one would think it's got to be in their armor. <laughs> I think of it as being their makeup. I mean, you know, certainly we we see they've got these big masks, and I think yeah. those masks helped. Yeah. Um, Fire resistance I, plus two, charisma minus two. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're hideous. Take that thing off. Um, but We're I in think town. That, We've got to trade with merchants. Take your mask off. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Like, awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, but no, I think that there is something uh, to them. I mean, you know, remember they're made by the Smith Vala. Yep. They're yep. natural Smiths. You know, they probably are used to working around fire. That's true. So, um, yeah. You know, maybe there's maybe there's something to that. Um, I think there's something in their nature. Yeah. Thick skin. Uh, yeah. You know, just a, a toughness about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hairiness. I mean, you know, hairiness, too. <laughs> Why not? That would to me, that would be a weakness when it comes to fire, because then you get you you, know, the you, beard you lean singed. over. Yeah. You lean over, a, you know, an open forge with uh, a beard hanging down. <laughs> it's not. I lost Not my good. eyebrows again tonight. <laughs> Dang it. That's the third time this year. <laughs> well, honey, I told you to shave. I told you the same. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> oh, goodness. Good stuff. Um, wow. The Naugerman battle. I, I'm so glad he included that paragraph. You know, that, that to give us a mm-hmm. taste of all the races in this battle, all the races with something, you know, um, everybody's doing the their game, part, you know, so to speak. Yeah, you know? yeah. We've used that phrase. And they were the stronger last to together. stand you know, they're always Yeah. They're always stronger together. That's true. You know, we've talked about that, too. You're right. The, the different forces, mm-hmm. different people, different yeah. whatever it may be, there's always uh, a strength in that diversity uh, of yeah. force in this case. And, and yet there's just something there's there's just something so strange and i don't mean that in a bad way it's just no. strange alien, as in you know i think was a alien. good way to put it yeah um, very there's different. something very different about this um about this behavior and the way they treat their fallen chieftain yeah. um i like that it kind of shows that the dwarves are still a people apart yeah yeah they are certainly when you compare them to you know the certainly like the third age dwarves which are the best one the ones we know best right, you know where they're right. they're very, you know, westernized. Yeah, that would be right. <laughs> westernized. I like that. Yeah, they are. You're right. This is still, you know, kind of in their their early phase. You know, mm-hmm. um, they, they have their own. They still have very much their own tradition, very much their own culture, and it's it's yeah. very much a part. Well, they keep that well into the. You know, we still <laughs> see that, but They're, yeah, that's true. But they they do a good job of assimilating. I think later on. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, this is definitely. Doesn't matter if none of you would leave the battlefield right now. We right. we are. We're, that's what we do. That's what we do when our you know when our king yeah. falls to battle. Yeah. You all go on fighting without us. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. get out of our way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, boy, I don't think I'd want to stay them. I mean, you, that's <laughs> the presence they must have had on that battlefield for even the bad guys to say, oh, let's just let them leave. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did. They did kind of force Glaurung and the rest of the beasts He's to right. head back. So maybe they were exactly, like, yeah, let's yeah. not mess around. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we've pretty much done our job. They're leaving, really. And so. Right. True. True. You know, for all intents and purposes, they're, uh, you know, we're victorious over them. That's true. So now we move back to the west side of the battle because this has happened on the east. So now we go back, ping-ponging back over to the other side. Uh, so this would be over 
uh, with Fingon's people and, and Turgon's. But now in the Western battle, oh man, I hate this part. This is so sad. Do I have to read this? I have to read this. I had to read Gelmir, so. <laughs> but now in the Western battle, Fingon and Turgon were assailed by a tide of foes thrice greater than all the force that was left to them. Gothmog, lord of Balrogs, high captain of Angband, was come, and he drove a dark wedge between the elven hosts, surrounding King Fingon, and thrusting Turgon and Hurin aside towards the fen of Serek. Then he turned upon Fingon. That was a grim meeting. At last Fingon stood alone with his guard dead about him, and he fought with Gothmog, until another Balrog came behind and cast a thong of fire about him. Then Gothmog hewed him with his black axe, and a white flame sprang up from the helm of Fingon as it was cloven. Thus fell the high king of the Noldor, and they beat him into the dust with their maces, and his banner, blue and silver, they trod into the mire of his blood. Mm. Oh, uh, man. Once again, just the, the utter brutality of yeah. Morgoth's forces. And the cheating. Um, the other Balrog comes behind and cast the thong of fire yeah. about him. I mean, okay, Fingon probably wasn't going to be able to survive the battle with Gothmog, but this is, you know... This is the, yeah. the, the the wrapping your arms around the guy and keeping his arms behind his back so that right. your buddy can punch him in the gut. It's 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 yeah. cheating. It's it totally is, yeah. dishonorable battle. Yeah. And the and, the vision and, of contrast here, the black axe and the white flame. Yeah. Man, that's yeah. power. Oh, it is. And the this white flame, it, that's one of my favorite and yeah. least favorite images in the in the entire book. Isn't I mean, it? this is Yeah, it really is both. This is this is his Fea violently, yeah. violently leaving his body. I Absolutely. Mean, uh, wow. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, we've never seen anything like this. No. I mean, no. Feanor, I guess, is the closest thing that comes to mind, where his his spirit, you know, turns fled his ash. body so fast that his body yeah. just turns to ash. Um, <laughs> there, we we kind of were happy. Um, <laughs> but, don't tell uh, the Feanor fans. We don't, we don't I know. Really bring that I know. Back up. But, but this is Fingon. This is the yeah. this is Fingon the Valiant, and oh, just this death is just brutal, and um, and the the violence, the the violence that's done to his body, and the yeah. violence with which his Fea leaves his body, are just heart wrenching. It really is, and it's and Fingon's not even like. He, I mean, I'm more. Of, I'm a Torgon fan. You know, yeah. I'm a Torgon yeah, fan. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Fingon's great, uh, but you know, he's not one of the characters that I really like no. connect with. No, you're right. Um, Torgon, Finrod, right. Those are probably the two that I mean for me. But yeah, Fingon. Yeah. So like, it's like you know, we talked about Finrod's death. You know, that's heartbreaking because you mm-hmm. feel like you know that character. This isn't even a character you know that well, but still, no. this death is heartbreaking because of just, just the violence of it. It's, the violence and the symbolism. This is the High King. The that's and, true. Yeah. And the, the fact that they, that they beat that they his just body. Trod, beating oh. his body, trotting his banner into the you know his, into the the mire of his blood. blood, and you've got the, this contrast of the the blue and silver of his banner against yeah, the, the the red, red. and the and the, the brown of the mud and, and his blood. Oh, just awful. And you know, contrast this uh, with the peace with which. Uh, Baron and Luthien's spirits left mm-hmm. in the last chapter, and I know it's a very different scene. I, oh, sure, I would expect sure. it to be different, but um, it just—it's striking to me because we just read how, you know, how peacefully they both died of of wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Baron of wounds, um, 
That's true. But but you know you just con- you contrast that with how peaceful death can be. <laughs> and this is just <laughs> how incredibly violent it can how be. How incredibly violent it can be. It's uh yeah. It's ugly. It really is. And that but pretty again, much that that hope is on Yeah, hope, hope is. And I was going to say hope that is that, on the way. Yeah. Exactly. That takes us to kind of the end of the battle, but also the beginning of some hope. I, the next few paragraphs are yours. Yep. All right. The field was lost, but still Hurin and Huor and the remnant of the house of Haldor. Uh, that's Wait, a typo. That's, that's, there is that's, no that's house of – I know. I noticed that too right. in my copy. Yeah, the, There's a typo, yeah. folks. It's the house of Haldor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was looking at that. That's not Haldor, is it? <laughs> Let me start that over. The field was lost, but still Hurin and Huor and the remnant of the House of Hador stood firm with Turgon of Gondolin, and the hosts of Morgoth could not yet win the Pass of Sirion. Then Hurin spoke to Turgon, saying, Go now, Lord, while time is, for in you lives the last hope of the Eldar, and while Gondolin stands, Morgoth shall still know fear in his heart. But Turgon answered, Not long now can Gondolin be hidden, and being discovered it must fall. Then Huor spoke and said, Yet if it stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come the hope of elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again, from you and from me a new star shall arise. Farewell. And Maeglin, Turgon's sister's son, who stood by, heard these words and did not forget them, but he said nothing. Well, he pretty much never says anything. <laughs> it's kind of his thing. thing. When his it's father sort of... says, come with me, son, we're leaving this town, he answered nothing. nothing. When his father was about to be cast over the cliff, he, he said, said nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I think he even said yeah. nothing after his mother died. After his mother died, yeah. He I, said nothing. He's he's quiet. He's, he's, always, he's always watching. He's always taking things in, but he never says anything. He's a quiet, scheming little <clears throat> rat. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, but my goodness, the the stuff before that is what really matters. I that line yeah. from Huor, oh, that is such an important line. It is. If it, it stands is. but a little while, out of your house shall come the hope of elves and men. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's the yeah. hope again. There's uh, the hope. You know, Hurin mentions it too. And, that in you lives the last hope of the Eldar. Yep. Uh, I love that. I love that hope and, uh, is and, uh, central to this. Yeah. And it, it, it has to be yeah, <laughs> because it's it such a brutal scene. Yeah. Uh, it's such a brutal chapter. Well, because now um, is hopeless. We, we have to look to the future for hope now. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's true. That is true. And um, what we're going to see with Hurin in a moment, um, oh, yeah. I think is, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. We but yeah, we will. Um, I do love this. Uh, I love Huor's uh, speaking with the eyes of death. You know, yeah. um, I, I feel like we've talked about We this see that before, a number of times, don't where. we? Yeah, I can't remember where it's come up most well, recently. It, but... it came up with Feanor, and then it came up. Okay. Um, mm, I can't remember where it came up more recently because Feanor was the first one where we talked, where he talked about seeing with the eyes of death that yeah, know, okay. sons nobody was going to be able to overcome Thangorodrim, and right, he still told his right. sons to go do it anyway because <laughs> he's right. such a nice guy. But yeah, well I, I I can't remember uh, the other example. I'm I'm, I'm wishing I could, but. Yeah, uh, but it's just this idea that you know, before they die, they're able. There's to some just sort of see, clarity. Yeah, there's some sort of clarity. Um, maybe almost a clairvoyance. You know, they can just yeah, kind of see yeah. what's going to happen. Prophecy of some sort of some, mm-hmm. an understanding of the big picture. Yeah, uh, in a way that that you know 
when we're still living our lives, we just can't get yeah. our arms around. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. amazing. And and as we will see, I mean, you know, who are his words do come absolutely true. Yes, they um, do. I mean, this, the, the this hope, truly, the, the new star shall arise is the whole point of this book. Yeah, pretty <laughs> I mean, much. Yep. Trying not to spoil it, but pretty man. much. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do we see? Turgon listens, thankfully, uh, and he, he gathers his people and he retreats. Uh, his captains guard the flank so that they can't get past. Uh, and But Hurin and Huor and the men of Dor Loman hold the rear guard. They knew this was a, a suicide mission holding a rear guard. They didn't want to leave the yeah. north. And if they can't get back to their houses, they can't get back to their families, they're going to stand there until the end. Um, yeah. And that this last stand is the most renowned. I love this. I know we're not reading it, but <laughs> it is the most renowned of all the deeds of war that the fathers of men wrought in behalf of the Eldar. It's big. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit about of uh, like the 300 Spartans or something. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thermopylae. Yeah, yeah. This is Hador. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, what's up with that yeah. typo? Can you believe that? I, I noticed Haldor. that too. And there I can't no believe help. I fell for it. I'm just, I'm just looking at like, you know. I meant to uh, mention that to you because I'd caught it when I was reading through the chapter, and I was like, wait a minute, they mean Hador. Yeah. But, uh, and I know, of course, I know that. I know, you know. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sitting here reading from the book, and well, oops. Yeah, I know. I would have done the same, same thing. My ebook tells me it's that. It must be true. I, you know what? I, do you have your hard copy in front of you by any chance? I do. Yeah. I wonder, did I wonder if that error is in there too, or if it's just an e copy? I'm gonna find out. Um, but while I'm while you're looking that up. Oh man! So so Turgon, like you said, he retreats. Uh, he's got the the men of Dorloman holding the rear guard, <clears throat> and he escapes and vanishes into the mountains and is hidden. And then I'm going to take the next fairly lengthy bit here, so that'll give you plenty of time and, to, to find that uh, in the text. <laughs> I found it already. And before okay. you do that, that Does, error is not in the hard copy. It is so. only in the e copy. Oh man! Yep. Well, there you go. That's what we get for using technology. There you go. Podcast. That's our problem. But the brothers drew the remnant of the men of the house of Hador about them, and foot by foot they withdrew, until they came behind the fen of Serach and had the stream of Rivil before them. There they stood and gave way no more. Then all the hosts of Angband swarmed against them, and they bridged the stream with their dead and encircled the remnant of Hithlam as a gathering tide about a rock. There, as the sun westered on the sixth day, and the shadow of Arid Wethrin grew dark, Huor fell pierced with a venomed arrow in his eye, and all the valiant men of Hador were slain about him in a heap, and the orcs hewed their heads and piled them as a mound of gold in the sunset. <laughs> Last of all, Hurin stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and wielded an axe two-handed, and it is sung that the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered. And each time that he slew, Hurin cried, Aure Entuluva, day shall come again. Seventy times he uttered that cry, but they took him at last alive by the command of Morgoth. For the orcs grappled him with their hands, which clung to him still, though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed until at last he fell buried beneath them. Then Gothmog bound him and dragged him to Angband with mockery. Thus ended Nirnaeth Arnoidiad as the sun went down beyond the sea.
night fell in Hithlam, and there came a great storm of wind out of the west. Before we talk about that, yeah, it's the first time I noticed trolls. The troll, the troll, the troll guard. guard of Gothmog. Are mm-hmm. trolls? I don't. I don't think trolls are mentioned earlier in this uh, in this chapter. I don't think they are either. I'm I'm going to find that out since we're using our e copies. We can do that, right? Yeah. Uh, no, they have not been mentioned. Uh, <laughs> so, so everything, all the all the things we talked about that are in this army, plus trolls, plus trolls. <laughs> yeah, they don't even mention trolls. The, the word trolls doesn't show up again until of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Really? Yeah. But the troll guard so, of Gothmog. So add to everything else. They have a troll guard. They have a troll guard. <laughs> um, oh goodness! Yeah. Uh, um, again, great job with the Quenya. Um, well, this time was only uh, two words. <laughs> true, true. Um, and we talked about the, you know, the fact that this is a, a reflection of the uh, earlier statement by Fingon, yeah. and again, great for practicing your Quenya, but also a great statement of hope. Again, you know, day, day shall, shall come, come again. Again, and, and, it will. and I think. It, re- it yeah. will. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, who are, has already said that a new star shall arise um, someday. <clears throat> yeah. It's going to it's going to be a while. But yeah, but yeah. I think Hurin, I, I think Hurin heard, you know, I, he heard what his brother said and he's he's clinging to that. He knows that there is there is hope on the horizon somewhere, some when <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some when. And I just I love that, you know, as you said before, this is a moment where elves and men you know, could be, could fall into despair. Um, but Hurin doesn't, he, he fights, he fights though. He knows that he can't win, but he keeps on fighting. And I love the fact that he throws away his shield and he just wields his ax two handed because, because he, he doesn't, what, what, what good is is defense at this point? Right. Right. Exactly. He's, he's going to be slain or taken. Yeah. Might as well just kill as many as as he can can. before that. Exactly. And so that's what he does. And 70 kills. (laughs) Well, remember, you know, he's wiry, right? He's, he's got incredible endurance. That's the thing about Hurin is he's not as big as some of the other men of the same house. uh, That's that's true. Yeah. Mixed blood with the, um, uh, with, with the, the, the Haladin, yeah. With the Haladin, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's true. He's got so you could see him endurance, right? So you could see him swinging a big, heavy axe and not having, you know, the weight of his own, yeah. the weight of his own bulk to to swing around with it. Yeah, right, right. It, it, wow, incredible! And just picturing that scene, the idea of you know how he eventually falls because the orcs hands are still wrapped onto his legs and arms and torso. Yeah. Even though they're all just oh, that's spurting so crazy. blood. Yeah. Spreading this black blood. Oh, my goodness. Smoking black blood just jetting off of him. Wow. That's quite a scene, really. It really is. I mean, every time orcs grab onto him, he just hacks off their hands. Wow. I love the the, the day shall come again thing, though, totally reminds me of the song that Sam sings um, in the in in the Tower of Kirithungal. He oh, talks, yeah, there's a line yeah. here, and, and I've, I was able to quickly pull it up. He says, though here at journey's end, I lie in darkness buried deep, beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows, rides the sun and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. There's something, I don't know why that just brings it back to me. It's the whole idea of day and not giving up hope. Um, But it's just, 
it's just a beautiful moment. Well, day day is such a great metaphor for that, isn't it? Because yeah, it is. the day ends and the night is dark and cold and scary, but the day will always come again. I mean, yeah. it's 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 a it's a pretty much on the surface metaphor. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. But but it's, it's it's beautiful for that because it just it works so well. It's it's a great reminder of um, you know uh, we may lose today, but there's tomorrow. There is always going to be tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, I Gothmog binds him and drags him off with mockery. I can just see it now. Mm. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's, hey, Hillrin. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Real hey, tough shorty. guy there, aren't you? <laughs> you know, that last paragraph is interesting. It, it, it's almost a throwaway until you read it a little bit closer. You know, thus ended the Nirnaeth. Uh, the sun goes down. Night falls. And there came a great storm of wind out of the west. I think there's a yep. reason that that's coming from the west. I, I, what do you make of that? I mean, usually... I mean, this is the place where I would expect an east, a wind to come out of the east, because that's usually where evil comes from. But what well, do you think about the thing. that? I think it's over now. It's over mm-hmm. now. And there's a, a wind coming from the west to clear it away. To You think this is sort of Manway maybe sort of kind of cleansing? Starting that process. Starting the process. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah. He, the, they've known this was going to come. They've known there was going to be a time where the Noldor were going to have to, to, to lose utterly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I may be reading more. <laughs> we do that, don't we? We got recently chastised about reading way too much into something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do that. Um, um, but it's, you know, uh, that's kind of what we have to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, hey, you know, we, we read into it and sometimes we're on the money and sometimes we're not, you know. That's but true. It, but it, we wouldn't be us if we didn't at least ask the question. <laughs> we got to so. try every now and then. Exactly. Yeah, I just I, th- to me it seems like the great storm of wind out of the west is symbolic of the Valar. You know, okay, this is done. Yeah, now, and now we're gonna we're gonna start the next thing. You know, we're yeah. we're gonna move on. We're, we're moving mean, forward. I, I like that idea. I mean, the only the only counterpoint I have to that is. It does continue to get worse for the next few chapters. So that's true. You, you know, maybe I mean maybe it's a cleanse putting this battle behind them. But because I was about to say, well, yeah, they they're at rock bottom. But no, they're not. No, yeah. they're not. You know, so <laughs> well, maybe in Hithlum they are. I mean, really, because true, Hithlum, true. Yeah, yes, that's Fingon's people, and that's. Um, but yeah, you're right. They're definitely I, not I, at their rock bottom as as far as the elves are concerned. I mean, you get Doriath is going to have a little bit of a. Yeah, of an issue here, and then pretty soon Gondolin's <laughs> going to have some problems. So, well, well, what strikes me about this? I mean, you, you we're about to see. I mean, Balerion is just overrun after this. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the next few chapters are all about. Um, it's a bad neighborhood now. You don't want to go there anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And the next, you know, sp- sorry for the spoilers, but the next few chapters are just one Elven kingdom after another just falling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Um, it's uh, right. it's no longer Nargothrond, about Doriath and Gondolin. You're right. right. Yeah. yeah, It's no longer about like you know how they're building. It's about it's the how, they're, how they're collapsing, falling apart. Yeah. So, sorry, um, sorry. In case in yes. case any of you you know are for, for our first time readers, we do apologize. Uh, though I I rather think that the chapter titles of by, the ruin of Doriath and the by fall. this point, I think people know that this book doesn't end that happily. No, um, or at least no. the Quinta does. Well. But it does. It does, but it doesn't end well for for the folks at this part of the story. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But um but no, I I don't 
I think there's something to your idea there. Um, it's, uh, I think this is definitely some sort of response from the Valar. It has to be. There's some yeah. significance to this. Out of the West, um, that's symbolic. Definitely. Because I did read this and I thought, well, that's weird. Why isn't it from the East? I, For some strange reason, I didn't even think about it being the Valar. Um, but I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, we'll so see. and maybe and maybe it's maybe it's a sigh of grief. Maybe yeah. it's a, you know, maybe Sorry. it's a a storm of anger. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's um, maybe it is a cleansing, sort of a you know putting it behind him, as you say. Um, it could be a number of different things. You're right. You're right. And it is beautifully vague. <laughs> it does give <laughs> yeah. us that opportunity. I like that. Beautiful to really, vague. Uh, yeah, it's it's. It's done that way on purpose, and it yeah. leaves us an opportunity to uh, interpret it however we wish. Yeah. Um, so we get the aftermath. Uh, we get, you know, that obviously Morgoth's very happy here. He's won. Uh, he pretty much got everything he wanted. Men took the lives of men, betrayed the elves. Uh, and now you get that point that the hearts of the elves are estranged except from uh, from the Adine. And yeah. it's funny, save only those of those three houses. Well, those three houses are down to just about nothing. Um, That's I mean, true because— Baron and is pretty much all that's left of the house of Bayor and, and, yeah, and yeah. now his son. Um, yeah. And There's the Paladin are just a few folks in Brethel. And yep. then, uh, well, no, I no, I, I take that back about the house of Bayor. There are some living up in Hithlam, aren't there? I think there are, well, or, uh, Dorloman. in Dorloman. Um, yeah. Yeah. But they're going to get. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's too, just a yeah. few. There's just, just a, a handful. Scattered little pockets. Yeah. So, but. Um, Let's go ahead and have you tell us a little bit more about the other parts of the aftermath here. Okay. The realm of Fingon was no more, and the sons of Feanor wandered as leaves before the wind. Hmm. Their arms were scattered, and their league broken, and they took to a wild and woodland life beneath the feet of Arid Lindon, mingling with the green elves of Osirian, bereft of their power and glory of old. In Brethil, some few of the Haladin yet dwelt in the protection of their woods, and Handir, son of Haldir, was their lord. But to Hithlam came back never one of Fingon's host, nor any of the men of Hador's house, nor any tidings of the battle and the fate of their lords. Hmm. But Morgoth sent thither the Easterlings that had served him, denying them the rich lands of Beleriand which they coveted, and he shut them in Hithlam and forbade them to leave it. Such was the reward he gave them for their treachery to Mithras, to plunder and harass the old and the women and the children of Hador's people. The remnant of the Eldar of Hithlum were taken to the mines of the north and labored there as thralls, save some that eluded him and escaped into the wilds and the mountains. Wow. Everybody's wiped out. <laughs> yeah. Fingon's realm, gone. Sons of Feanor, mm-hmm. scattered. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, and they're hanging around with the green elves. I mean, wow, they've really gone downhill. <laughs> they, they, they've definitely gone downhill. Um, yeah, they're Hith- slender bows. Hithlum, Hithlum overrun by Easterlings. Yeah, who don't even particularly want to be there oh. because they wanted Valerian. Yeah, that's like uh, thanks but, a lot. We we thought we were going to get like uh, you know Iowa and Missouri, and and you gave us you gave us what I don't know. I'm going to end up insulting somebody. <laughs> you <laughs> gave us Oklahoma. I mean, you know, I just mean because it's not, it's yeah, not you, fertile land. Right. I'm trying to, it's I guess not, it probably is. You gave me, I don't know. Antarctica. <laughs> Antarctica. There we go. Please. Because nobody lives there. That was probably way too extreme, but just well, got to yeah. jump in there for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. for keeping me from insulting yet another state. <laughs> I've never yeah. been to Oklahoma. I'm sure it's beautiful. And if uh, I do, I shall find a uh, story with the fringe on top or something, right? <laughs> 
I'm a Texan, so I, you okay. know, hey, you can say whatever you like. Oh, about I should have said just East Texas, because isn't East Texas pretty much not a place you'd want to live? Well, West, West, West Texas. Texas. It's West Texas, yeah. that's right. I knew it was yeah. one of those, East, West, <laughs> blah, blah, I don't know. I think it depends on what part of Texas you live in. Yeah, I suppose that's true. The folks West in West Texas. Texas would be like, nah, them East Texas folk. I don't. Yeah. No, but the idea here is that instead of being given these beautiful, lush, lush green lands, lands with, filled know, with, you know, well, all the all the pastures and the farmland and the tilled the, soil the that we've talked and the about. the and the tilled till. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. instead they're given this kind of almost subarctic land, um, yeah. you know, very cold, uh, you know, not very fertile land. Yeah. Um, so I and, guess Oklahoma and, was a bad example. Probably North Dakota would have been a better one. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, this is and, just and, not and great. And all they land. have, and these are, you know, this is a sort of an, I see the Easterlings as sort of a nomadic kind of plundering mm-hmm. people. And all they're left yeah. with is plundering just old people, the old and the women and the children. You know, these, this is no fun. Of, you're right. <laughs> this is no fun. Exactly. Um, they're kind of miserable about this, but you know, hey, that's what you get for following the Dark Lord. Yeah, I know exactly. You, you should have figured this out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a few Eldar of Hithlum are, are captured. I guess these would have been elves that maybe weren't, uh, you know, well enough to fight in the battle. I don't know. Maybe they were just there to, yeah. to kind of hold down the home fort, so to speak. They're captured Good and thing. taken to the mines. Yeah. Um, a handful do escape and get out into the wilds. Yeah, and we'll and see a few of those later. I think, we will. Um, I think particularly we will. in unfinished tales, don't we? I think so. I think um, yeah. orcs and wolves are are freely just going wherever the heck they want. Um, <laughs> yep. <clears throat> all the way down to Nantathrin, down to the land of willows, over all the way to the borders of Osirian. Yeah. It's it, the neighborhood it's, really has gone downhill. Like we you, you really, about. yeah, you really get the the idea of. The you know Morgoth's forces are just overrunning Beleriand, and there's overrunning. just these yeah few pockets. Very few pockets. There's a couple of gated gated neighborhoods left. Uh, Doriath, <laughs> uh, Nargothrond, and yeah, these are just little yeah. you know gated communities. And um, but yeah. you know, it's interesting. It's Doriath, Morgoth gave small heed. Doriath, Nargothrond, and Gondolin at this point, isn't it? Yeah, that's really, it. Those are the main ones. That is it. Um, and and then there's uh, there's uh, the well, files. we're gonna learn that. Yeah, well, for now, <laughs> we're gonna read spoilers about in a moment. <laughs> spoilers uh, for a few a few sentences from well for. For now, now, actually, just about now, now. I'm going to read that <laughs> yeah. paragraph. Many now fled to the havens and took refuge behind Kirdan's walls, and the mariners passed up and down the coast and harried the enemy with swift landings. But in the next year, ere the winter was come, Morgoth sent great strength over Hithlum and Nevrast, and they came down the rivers Brithon and Nenning, and ravaged all the Phalas, and besieged the walls of Brithombar and Eglarest. Smiths and miners and masters of fire they brought with them, and they set up great engines. And valiantly though they were resisted, they broke the walls at last. Then the havens were laid in ruin, and the tower of Barad-Nimras cast down, and the most part of Kirdan's people were slain or enslaved. But some went aboard ship and escaped by sea, and among them was Iranion Gilgalad, the son of Fingon, whom his father had sent to the havens after the Dagor Bragalach. This remnant sailed with Círdan south to the Isle of Balar. Gilgalad. There you go. We get to see Gilgalad. So <laughs> yeah. that, let's remember, he's the son of Fingon. That's right. a really important role. Um, so well, not yeah. very many Since of them. Fingon escaped. was Hiking of the Noldor. So. Yep, yep, that's kind of the mm-hmm. point. 
Uh, and we will see a Gilgalad uh, into the second and third ages. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just barely the third. Just age, barely I the guess. third age, like pretty much like a few seconds <laughs> into the third age, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, anybody who's read Lord of the Rings, he you know he was the the captain of the he was the High King of the Noldor at the Last Alliance. He was the yep. um, he was the captain yep. uh, standing alongside Elendil. Yes, he was. And his spear. And good friend to the, to the Numenorean spear is called uh, was it Iglus? I think so. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> But we yeah, can't so just the let Phallus that sit there just, without confirming it. Yeah. No, the, the phallus are destroyed. Um, yeah. yeah. Talk to us about that a little bit. My goodness. The, so engines. Yeah. We're talking about siege engines here. Yeah. All right. No, I'm At just the trying to tour. You no, know, I was just I mean, I was saying let's talk about that. Let's chat. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> Oh, Sorry, goodness. I thought you wanted me to read ahead. <laughs> no, I wanted you to talk about the destruction here of the phallus so that I could look up the name of the spear. <laughs> and it is Iglos, of course, because you're always yeah, right. Um, no, no I, I, except when I have nothing prepared on siege engines. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about this. So the engines are siege engines, so we're talking about like catapults or uh, sure, yeah, any sort of engines of war. So, I mean, really even a, a, a ram would, would you know, be yeah, yeah. counted as that. And so they eventually broke the walls. Um, and I wonder if, uh, well, in miners, right? I mean, miners. Oh yes, yeah, so they would have gone down it? under. They would have gone underneath, maybe weakened the walls mm-hmm. from underneneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, masters that, of uh, fire. Yeah, masters of fire. I, w- I mean, I do wonder if there's explosives, or if it's more just like uh, what am I thinking of? Is it sappers? I think that just sort of dig under yeah. the walls and um, and just kind of weaken the foundations. But yeah, uh, yeah. Masters whatever it was, fire. he had he had a lot of it. He did. Yeah. Now, these are miners, not minas, just <laughs> to get our Galaxy Quest reference in. They're miners, not They're miners. miners. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you almost reminded of uh, of Saruman with the uh, the gunpowder. Uh, Definitely, at the yeah. The Battle of Helm's Deep, you know, and, and yeah. bringing in some explosives to weaken the walls. Um, Masters of Fire, yeah. I mean, you certainly think that's what you're thinking, you know. Some yeah. sort of, uh, I, I know that the... Fall of Gondolin in, um, in the history of Middle Earth, you know, we, we learned that they have essentially explosives and right these great vehicles. And, and I think we saw explosives in uh, the Ruin of Valerian, didn't we? I feel I like we talked about them there. Yeah, maybe. I, maybe I not. Maybe it, was just, uh, maybe it was just lava. <laughs> just, just lava. <laughs> just lava. Just hot lava. Um. But yeah, so so even the last place that they could escape has been wiped out, and right. they escape again. So this time they get down to the Isle of Balar. So it's we're, it's a long ways away. Yeah, it's uh, and I don't have my my map up in front of me, but I guess I'm just going to look at the book. It, it's really south and uh, a bit very east far south, of the uh, south yeah. west, I think, isn't it? Southwest of the Phallus? No, south, southeast of the Phallus. Southeast. Oh, okay, because the because the shore is just the, moves the shape inland. of the shore. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. You're right. Um, yeah. Because Phallus is just yeah, right south, off, right exactly right in the, the bay from uh, the mouths of Syrian. So it's very very far south. Very far south. Yeah. This was. I mean, it had to just be the, the closest refuge they could find. Yeah. Um, but you look at how far south that is. That is as far south of Nargothrond. As Nargothrond is south of Gondolin, I mean, you know, looking at the scale of the map, yeah, that's so true. So it's a it's a long ways away. Yeah, 
That should take wow. further than that when you look at it. It's yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Big, big distance. It's a long, a long, long way. Yeah. But it's an island out in the bay, and they're able to make some ships. Uh, and now I'll have you read. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited to read this. You were. Passage. Well, of course you were, because we yeah. we know where this all heads. <laughs> yeah. At the bidding of Turgon, Kirdan built seven swift ships, and they sailed out into the west. But no tidings of them came ever back to Balar, save of one and the last. The mariners of that ship toiled long in the sea, and returning at last in despair, they foundered in a great storm within sight of the coast of Middle-earth. Hmm. But one of them was saved by Ulmo from the wrath of Ase, and the waves bore him up and cast him ashore in Nevrast. His name was Veronwe, and he was one of those that Turgon sent forth as messengers from Gondolin. You know, I think I mentioned Veronwe earlier, and, and clearly he went out with the second group of ships, so my bad. Right. Uh, well, but, you can be forgiven for, for not remembering yeah. exactly which group of ships he I went I just with. know that he went and was the only yeah. one to come back. And it's um, the only one that came back, yep. Yeah, seven ships. I can, I can hear uh, Princess Buttercup... Oh, but you're seven fastest. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The mariners of that I ship. I kind of thought we were done with Princess Bride references after the last one. But. I thought we were too, but we're probably never done. <laughs> never, never, ever done as it should be. <laughs> um, I love that Ulmo yeah. saves Veronway from the wrath of Ose. Yeah, it's almost like he's got a plan or something, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, well, it Ulmo. It <laughs> it's almost like Ulmo has a role to play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost like Veronway's going to do something. I don't know. We'll I, see. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, we'll yeah. get to that. Luckily, that's, I think, what, like four or five episodes from now before we get to that. So we'll have plenty yeah. of time to warn our, our listeners that they need to pick up Unfinished Tales and yes. read uh, of Tour in the coming, uh, and his coming to Gondolin. But, yes, uh, Voronway, very important. Very important later on. We'll, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. And now we get to something that probably should be in the next chapter, but is in this one, and, and we'll be happy to discuss it. <laughs> this chapter is bookended by it is. stuff it, that probably should be in the other chapters. It really is. Let me go ahead and take the next couple paragraphs here. Now the thought of Morgoth dwelt ever upon Turgon, for Turgon had escaped him, of all his foes, that one whom he most desired to take or to destroy. And that thought troubled him and marred his victory. For Turgon of the mighty house of Fingolfin was now by right king of all the Noldor, and Morgoth feared and hated the house of Fingolfin, because they had the friendship of Ulmo, his foe, and because of the wounds that Fingolfin gave him with his sword. And most of all his kin, Morgoth feared Turgon. For of old in Valinor his eye had lighted upon him, and whenever he drew near, a shadow had fallen on his spirit, foreboding that in some time that yet lay hidden, from Turgon, ruin should come to him. Therefore Hurin was brought before Morgoth, for Morgoth knew that he had the friendship of the king of Gondolin, but Hurin defied him and mocked him. Then Morgoth cursed Hurin and Morwen and their offspring, and set a doom upon them of darkness and sorrow. And taking Hurin from prison, he set him in a chair of stone upon a high place of Thangorodrim. There he was bound by the power of Morgoth, and Morgoth, standing beside him, cursed him again, and he said, Sit now there, and look out upon the lands 
where evil and despair shall come upon those whom thou lovest. Thou hast dared to mock me and to question the power of Melkor, master of the fates of Arda. Therefore with my eyes thou shalt see, and with my ears thou shalt hear, and never shalt thou move from this place until all is fulfilled unto its bitter end. And even so it came to pass. But it is not said that Hurin asked ever of Morgoth either mercy or death for himself or for any of his kin. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And we're going to have to learn a whole it's, lot more about oh, yeah. that curse and the doom and the... Yeah. Yeah, that's coming and, up. And and the eyes with my eyes, mm-hmm. with my ears. Uh, I think we're going to be spending a lot of time, lot of time going back to these couple of paragraphs as we go into the next yeah. story. Yeah, especially that that second one. But before we spend time on that that curse, let's look at that first paragraph. I love this. Mm-hmm. First of all, once again, we see fear. Morgoth feared Turgon. Morgoth yeah. feared and hated the house of Fingolfin. And I love the reasons. It's because yeah. Ulmo is their friend and because of the wounds, woohoo, that Fingolfin gave him with his sword <laughs> yeah. seven times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but even but he this, gets that little foreboding. <laughs> yeah. Torgon, yeah. most of all. Yeah, he just, he knew. He, I love that. that you know, that, even back in Valinor, he yeah. just, when he looked on Torgon, he just, he just kind of thought. Bad thing. Ruins that guy's going to be come. the death of me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what's funny is he thinks that somehow maybe, you know, if I can just find him and kill him, he won't be yeah. the death of me. Because, right. of course, he thinks he is the master of the fates of Arda. But <laughs> he's not. No. Is he? No, he's not. No. That's he's the not. thing. I mean, that really ties in because here he's, you know, he claims to Hurin to be the master of the fates of Arda. And yet he realized, you know, Turgon, Turgon is part of the, of the fate of Arda. And right. Morgoth doesn't get to do anything about him. Doesn't get to right. well, he does, but he doesn't stop well, <laughs> the ruin right, that no. will come to him from that will come from to him Turgon. from Torgon. Yeah, so I love I, the use of Master of the Fates of Arda because that echoes, uh, you know, a word in the title of the next chapter. Yes, it does. Um, yes, which we'll get to that in due time. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, again, I kind of wish that had been in the next chapter. I know. Um, I love you know, that and, you rep- and, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, I was going to just talk about. That's right. No, uh, I was just going to talk about, you know, we talked when back when uh, Turgon actually let Hurin and Huor leave Gondolin. Yeah, yeah. We talked about, you know, the the questioning, you know, whether that was the right decision for him right. to make. You know? They knew and, it existed. Even if they didn't know how to get there, they knew. They knew it existed. And yeah. and that was going to, to make them vulnerable. You know, and it was going to make them targets. they knew the region of the world. I mean, they, they right. would have known – that it wasn't in Osirian, that it, it right. wasn't in, you know, the land of the willows. You know, they, they knew that it right. was up in the mountains somewhere in that area. Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, we, again, here here we see that, you know, Morgoth uh, goes after Hurin because he is trying to get to Torgon. Mm-hmm. And because he mocked him. <laughs> and because he and defied <laughs> There's him. There's that too. But, uh, oh, man. Yeah. You wow. dared to mock me. I love how, how he... How he refers to himself as Melkor, I like that too. Yeah, <laughs> it's a reminder. Morgoth is is a slam. You know, he's he's the dark enemy of the world. That's the name that right. Feanor gave him after the Silmarils were stolen and and Finway was killed. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's Morgoth's not, not going to call himself, himself yeah. that. No, Melkor. Yeah, no, of course, 
if he, he, of course he's he's still going to call himself he who arises in might exactly you know? <laughs> and master of the fates of Arda and yeah the rightful lord of Middle Earth <laughs> right and I named this unto <laughs> myself, myself and I named this unto myself. myself and over there that unto myself yes <laughs> yeah he's um, he's got a little bit of a, a high a high vision of where he stands oh yes uh, yeah not to say he isn't powerful he is he's still the most you know powerful individual entity in uh, Middle Earth. Um, right. And possibly in Arda, though. Possibly in Arda, although given how much of his power exactly. he's Exactly. He would have been, I, I don't, but he's I not don't anymore. think at this point, yeah. No, that's the whole point. But boy, this curse. I mean, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that tonight because that really is the heart and soul of the next chapter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we want to look at this. This is a curse not just on Hurin, but on his, on his wife Morwen and on their offspring. And what is the, the curse or what is the doom? It is a doom of darkness and sorrow. Yeah. And evil and despair is going to come upon them. Yeah. Um, and then he has to see it through Melkor's eyes and hear it through Melkor's ears. And, you know, that's twisted, too. We know, Because we know what Hurin has said about the guile of Morgoth just earlier in this exactly. chapter. Exactly. Exactly. He knows full well that Morgoth is full of trickeration, if you will. And, uh, you know, he's not, it, it's not going to be an accurate vision. This is going to be, you know, a, twisted, a, a twisted to Morgoth's vision. purpose. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It made me think, and I think I even talked about this in one of my essays, or maybe it was, I don't know if it was essay or book week thing, but we were talking about, um, the, the Palantir, uh, I know this was, this is in hope and despair. I think it was. Um, yeah. I remember yeah, that. It yeah. was because, you know, Denethor saw things through Sauron's eyes. Through Sauron's eyes. Yeah. Because Sauron only allowed him to see what he allowed him to see. Right. And, and it may have been factually accurate, but it lacked all context and it lacked explanation to, to make it fit into what was going to be happening. And here it's going to be the same thing. You know, he has to endure seeing all this that we're going all the, deep, dark tragedy we're going to see in the next chapter through the eyes of the most evil entity to ever walk the face of Arda. Mm-hmm. What a terrible fate. Yeah. And yet, the, and yet the, he never asks for mercy or death. And never asks for mercy or death. Not even for, for any, his, yeah. Not even for his, yeah, for himself or for his children. Um, he, yeah. he, he held on to, um, I think, a good kind of, of pride and a good kind of valor. Yeah. I don't know if there's a bad kind of valor, but you know well, what I'm no. trying to say. Like, <laughs> but there know. is a bad kind of pride. I know what you meant. Yeah. 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 I think there's – we'll learn more, I think, when we look into the lay version as well or maybe when we look into some of the extended um, texts that come in the Children of Hurin um, mm-hmm. novel. But there's Yeah, there's a lot of it in there. That's there true. is. There's a, there's a certain trust in Iluvatar and in the nature of man uh, as created by Iluvatar that I think drives Hurin here. To, to withstand. But okay, cool. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. And boy, will we. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we're not going to read the, the last bit because we'll talk about the Hill of Tears a little bit more in the next chapter. Um, but just know that it's there. This is um, uh, the orcs gather all the bodies uh, of, of, of the elves and men and they pile them all together. And it would be, of course, a huge mound. I mean, if you think Huge. about how yeah, many absolutely. elves and men would have died, it's their bodies and their harnesses and weapons. Yeah, this is I mean, just a m- massive hill. It, it was like a hill. It could be seen from afar. Yeah. yeah it was, it yeah. was huge. Uh, so it's called Hauden Dengen 
or how then near nigheth, yep. the hill of the slain or the hill of tears. I do right. love that just like we see sometimes there's that symbolism that grass grew there. That, lo- that little bit of nature coming back into yeah. something, a little bit of life there. Yeah. yeah. And, and a little bit of hope. Yeah, that's know? true. Because no creature of Morgoth is ever going to go there yeah. um, because of the grass that grew there. And the swords of the Eldar and, and the Adain are, are underneath. Um, yeah. We'll see it again. And in fact, I think uh, for the next chapter, I want to make sure we put a link up to that beautiful piece uh, of Rian at the, um, at the Hill of Tears. You know which one I'm talking about? I'm sure I've seen. I can't remember having seen one of her. It's um, to look for it for next time. Yeah, it's a it's a Naismith it's a Naismith painting. Uh, Okay. If you have the illustrated copy of the Silmarillion, you'll have it in that in that book in that volume. Oh, okay. I'll I'll go take a look. I'm surprised to say this because it's we're still short of two hours, but that wraps it up for another <laughs> episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. As always, we uh, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, and join us again next time when we probably go over two hours again by going <laughs> deep into uh, another of the anchor stories of the Silmarillion. Yep, next time it's going to be starting Chapter 21 of Turin Turambar. And if you thought this chapter was depressing, folks, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, that's true. You know, it, we, we know that Tolkien wanted fairy stories to always have that uh, that happy ending, that you catastrophe. Well, let me just mm-hmm. tell you, Turin is not a fairy story. It is a tragedy. We're going to give this the same treatment that we gave Chapter 19. Uh, Because of its length, we're going to go ahead and split this up into three episodes. But hopefully, we'll keep it interesting for you. We've got some great themes to delve into, especially fate and free will, which is one of our favorites to talk about. And we'll look for some chances to bring in some poetry from the lay as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great idea if we can do that. Um, Yeah, This is another story that Tolkien wrote a few different versions of. A couple of prose versions and the verse, uh, The Lay of the Children of Hurin. I think we're going to find ways to bring in elements of all of those if we can, including uh, the standalone novel, The Children of Hurin, which I think of a lot of Yeah, most certainly. And we'll focus primarily on the version in the text, as we did with Baron and Luthien. So if you only read one thing, make it that. Yeah, definitely. And so on that note, for this first episode, we're going to cover through the section break that's on page 209 of our edition of the Silmarillion. It's the passage that ends with, Thus did Turin come to Nargathon. And remember, if you're reading along and want to take notes, and we encourage you to do that, don't mark up your first editions. Go to the library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, and you'll find links to cheap paperbacks, audiobooks, music CDs, a whole bunch of cool things. And we'd really appreciate you, uh, if you'd need to buy those things, to buy them through those links. Yeah, and you can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes. Even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, you can leave us a review. All you need is a few moments and an Apple ID. Um, And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. We're also on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and most other podcast directories. And a big thank you to those of you who have left reviews and who are connecting with us on social media. We call this the Prancing Pony Podcast for a reason. We love the common room, and that's why we have it on Facebook at the Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And social media is a great place to share our podcast as well. So please retweet us, share us, tell your friends. We count on that. And one last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or recordings of your friends trying to pronounce Nirnayath Arnoidiad to the Prancing Pony Podcast at gmail.com. Well, an hour 50 is still far too short a time to spend among such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. 